start today actually in Luke, the second chapter. So if you'd like to turn to that, now that you've turned to two others, turn to Luke 2. We'll start there in just a few minutes here. Luke, the second chapter. Go ahead and turn to that and keep your thumb there. If you haven't yet, please go ahead and pass the uh, outlines, the, the handouts that are from the middle aisles. Pass them on over, if you would, please. You can follow along there on the handouts. Today we continue our series called Theosaurus. You're familiar with a thesaurus. A thesaurus is a treasury storehouse of words. That's what the word means. We want to become, as 1 Corinthians 4 says, uh, treasury storehouses. We want to become stewards of the mysteries of God. So Theosaurus is becoming stewards of those kinds of God, big, big fancy God words. Today, it's not really a big fancy God word. Um, motherhood is something we're all pretty much familiar with. And uh, as uh, you know, unless you came from Iraq, today is Mother's Day. Uh, just yesterday, I was in Johnson City with my own mom. And we were looking at some old Wakefield and uh, Belle, Belle is on her side, some photographs from my past and my ancestry. It was, it was fun to reconnect with some of my roots sitting there with my mom. Most of what we did yesterday is look at old pictures from the 70s and make fun of what people wore then. But we also looked at a bunch of pictures from my ancestors from the 1800s and early 1900s. And I wanted to show you a little bit of, uh, of, of some of my ancestry here. These are the Jensen and Scott families. These are all on my mother's side. This first picture I want to show you is Louise Simonson Jensen. There you go. This is my great-great-grandmother, Louise Simonson Jensen. Those were the anglicized words because they came across on the boat. Somewhere there's a picture of uh, Louise Simonson Jensen and her husband getting off the boat. And I can imagine they had these, you know, Sven and Oli kind of accents like, hey there, yeah, we got on the boat, yeah. Um, that's, they came over from the motherland on the boat. And there's actually a picture that, uh, that we looked at yesterday. Uh, this is Anna Marie Jensen Scott. That's a, uh, my, a picture of my great-grandmother, Anna Marie Jensen Scott. Uh, this is a colorized photo. Uh, for those of you who are young, this used to actually be black and white. <laughs> yeah, that's what pictures used to look like. Yeah. Uh, this next one is my Grandma Belle. This is my grandmother. Uh, grandma Belle is a baby with her mother, who you just saw in that previous picture. And uh, that's where she was born, in a sod dugout house on the plains of Missouri. So uh, those of you who think you got it bad, at least you don't live in a dugout. And uh, they, they call it, kids, by the way, they call it a dugout because they actually dug out the earth and you, you walk down into it. Um, the sod dugout house was where my grandma Esther Bell was born. This is my mom next. That's my mom. That's her first birthday there. Uh, it's a classic Bell picture there. Uh, Vicki Louise Bell Wakefield. Uh, that's her high school picture in the middle there and her college picture on the right there. Um, it's crazy to think that my mom actually looked like that once, but uh, <laughs> she... Uh, Looks pretty much exactly like that now for those of you who have met her. Um, and this, of course, for good measure, is Scott in the 10th grade. Yeah. <laughs> oh. 
I don't know if we've come very far from the sod dugout house or not. Yeah, that's Dorky Scott in the 10th grade. Yeah. Oh, to be 175 pounds again. <laughs> Most of you have probably been to churches on Mother's Day where we give out awards. You know those list of questions where we ask uh, mothers who came from the farthest and, and those kinds of things uh, to be with their kids today. And, and, and we give away awards and, and incarnations uh, to the mom who wins in those particular categories. Uh, by the way, we give all moms... Uh, a, a carnation, so on the way out, there will be a flower for you uh, on the way out. Whether or not you win an award, you get um, a carnation on the way out. I always felt a little bit odd during those kinds of awards and questions. Maybe it's just me, but I always kind of felt like there were lots of good mothers who uh, were left out. What about those mothers, for example, those women who may have wanted to be mothers and, and didn't get to join in all the reindeer games because they, they hadn't been a mom or couldn't be a mom. How about this question? Which mother came the farthest to be with her kids today? You know, that question could be a sore spot for a mother, the fact maybe that her kids didn't stay close to home. Some mothers don't want that award. Which mother has the most children? Even as, even as I thought about that question and, and I wrote that for this sermon, I thought, that can be a tough one, too. From a pastoral perspective, I've seen that kind of question be a painful question for many mothers as well as for those who can't be mothers for whatever reason. Some may not want to have that award, which mother has the most children. How about who is the oldest mother? That one can maybe be bittersweet, and uh, we're not going to touch that one today. <laughs> uh, although, frankly, I'm sure you would want that award. How about this one? Who is the newest mother? That mom usually just gleams with joy. Um, that is, once you wake her up to tell her <laughs> that, that she won that award. I want to tell you about one question, one award that I've never seen given on Mother's Day, and it's this. It goes like this, and this is on your hand out there. Who is the mother who has endured the most grief due to motherhood? Who is the mother who has endured the most grief due to motherhood? Nobody wants that award, and yet at the same time, many of you inside are going, I know I won that one. <laughs> Anybody ever heard of that award being given on Mother's Day? I think we all know why that one in particular is not given. It's because maybe there's no greater grief than the grief of a mother over her wayward, injured, lost, disobedient child. Many of us can tell stories about the times we've disappointed our mothers or our mother figures. It could be a terrible feeling to know that you are the cause of grief for someone that you love. I'm tempted to stand up here and tell you some stories about when I wasn't a good son. Or to talk about bad children's stories that I know or have seen in church ministry. But then I realized I don't really need to supply those kinds of stories for you. If I just ask you a simple question and give you a little time, you can probably supply your own sermon illustration on this one. When, when have you grieved a mother? Notice the question is not if, 
The question is not, have you? It's when. Because we all know that we're sinners, and we grieve people and one another and our parents, and perhaps more than anyone else, our mothers. I don't need to provide a sermon illustration for that one, because you probably already know of some of your own examples on that one. Grieving mothers are, are part of why one of the guys in this video suggests that maybe instead of Mother's Day, we call it I'm Sorry Day. Because of the ways we all realize that we've grieved our mothers in some form or fashion. It's a, both a, a humorous, but also a little bit serious look at this question on grieving our mothers. This video is called I'm Sorry Day. Come on in. Hey, I got your carrots. Same right there. It's not overkill with the veggies, isn't it? Yeah, I'm making my mom a meal for Mother's Day, and she's a vegetarian. Oh, bless her heart. Yeah. You know, I think instead of Mother's Day, we should call it I'm Sorry Day. Okay. Hear me out on this, okay? The only reason we have Mother's Day is because raising a kid is like the biggest hassle in the world. And, and what do we do our whole lives but stuff we never stop and think to say we're sorry for? Like? Like? I probably want to wash those. Like, I'm sorry, Mom, for robbing you of your girlish figure. One of the many sacrifices you had to make to give birth to me. Yeah, my mom never really had a girlish figure. Ever. How about this one? I'm sorry, Mom, that you thought you were such an idiot. What do you mean? Well, when I was young and we'd always have a disagreement, it'd always end up with her saying, What do you think I am, an idiot? I don't think that's what she meant. I didn't, but she said it so much that I really started to wonder. Yeah, um... I, I'm thinking more stuff uh, like this, like, um, I'm sorry, Mom, for Christmas 1986, when I didn't put up my Star Wars action figures, and you took your new vacuum cleaner for its first spin. You were in college in 86. I'm sorry, Mom, that I never said I love you. You never told your mom you love her? I did, I was like five or six. You are sorry. Yeah, no, that's what I said, I'm sorry, I shouldn't... Don't talk back to me, young man. You're not my mom. You, you're not my mom. Where are we going with this? I'll tell you where we're going with this. You're going to take those vegetables and you're going to make that sweet little vegetarian mommy of yours the greatest salad she's ever had. That's what I was... The greatest salad she's ever had. And then you're going to apologize for never acknowledging that she is a sweet gift of God. Why well, A sweet gift of God. And then you're going to go to that sweet little vegetarian mommy of yours and you're going to look her square in the eye and you're going to say to her, I love you, mommy. I love you, mommy. I love you, mommy. Get it? Got it. Good. All right. Well, I am out of here. Okay. You have a good weekend. I will. No, I almost forgot. What was that for? That was for your mom. And that's for Facebook.
like that one because my mom's a vegetarian. <laughs> and I'm making her a salad tonight. So when I came across that one, I thought, hey, it's of the Lord. I've got to show that one. <clears throat> now, I know that that video was a little bit of a lighthearted and yet serious look at this issue. But it makes the point well, I think. Many of us have grieved our mothers. And maybe we should call it I'm Sorry Day. Many of us don't have our moms around to say I'm sorry. And that's hard on Mother's Day as well. And we want to acknowledge openly and publicly that for many of us, there are those grievances and ways in which we know we've, we've hurt one another, including our moms and our parents and each other, because of the ways that we act and behave and, and talk. And for you who have your mom here, make a vegetarian salad and tell her that you love her. And if you need to, tell her you're sorry. For those of you who don't have mom around still, go ahead and tell her anyway. And express to God the ways in which you are thankful for her this Mother's Day. <clears throat> oh, I almost forgot one thing. When it comes to grieving a mother, probably one of the worst sons ever, even if it wasn't his fault, is a guy that I met when I was quite young, and you probably did too. Ironically enough, my own mother introduced me to him. And even though this guy grieved his mother, my mom wanted nothing more for me than to become like him. Because his name was Jesus. Think about this. Has any son, has any son ever brought more grief to his mother than Jesus? I think Mary, I think Mary wins this award. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus didn't bring Mary grief because he was a bad son. You and I brought our mom's grief because we said something dumb. We acted in a way that doesn't hold up the family name, that doesn't demonstrate the glories of God. You and I are sinful, rebellious sons and daughters. But think about this with me for a second. Look, look at Luke 2. I think the experience of Mary here is going to be telling for us so that we can, we can think about what it means to be like a mother or to be a better mother to one another. Look at Luke 2, verses 34 to 35 here for just a second. And we're going to look at how Mary probably is the one who could win this award. Luke 2, 34 to 35, right after he was born, his mother and father, this is Jesus' mom and dad, took him to the temple, and there was a stranger there who spoke to Mary and said, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, this child is going to be like a sword through your heart. Now that's a son who grieves his mother. Look at verse 34 right here in Luke, the second chapter. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, verse 35, and a sword will pierce your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. Of course... We don't hear much about Jesus growing up years. In fact, most of what we have is a story from when he was about 12 years old. We find it a little later in this chapter 2, verses 41 and following. In this case, Mary and Joseph took him back to the temple during the Passover celebration, which was about a week long. 
They wound up leaving for home, and they forgot, well, they forgot Jesus. They had already traveled a good distance back home when they realized that their son Jesus hadn't bothered to get in the family's caravan the way home. So they, so they ran back to Jerusalem and looked for an entire day until they found out that he had stayed behind intentionally. When Mary questioned him about it, Jesus acted like she should have probably figured it out on her own. Look at verse 48 here in chapter 2 of Luke. Luke 2, 48. It says, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. That word astonished there literally means they were, they were dumbstruck. They were struck out of themselves. It's like saying they had no words. Maybe they didn't yet know how to respond to this boy that on the one hand they were sort of frustrated by and annoyed at, at least in their flesh they were. And yet at the same time, they knew him to be the Son of God, sent to save the world from sin. His mother said to him, this continues in the passage there, his mother said to him, this is verse 48, Son, why have you treated us so? Apparently she did get a little frustrated. Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And Jesus, he said to them, Why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. In the Gospel of John, at the beginning of the second chapter, we have the story that we call the wedding at Cana. You, you may remember this as the time when, when Jesus turned the water into wine. Jesus and his mother Mary and some of his disciples were at this wedding, and, and the, the wine ran out. And that was a big social faux pas, of course. So Mary comes to Jesus and tells him about the problem with the wine at the wedding. And Jesus' response here is a little bit surprising. Look at verse 4 in chapter 2 of John. John 2, verse 4. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? Happy Mother's Day. And then there's the time recorded in the Gospel of Mark, the third chapter. When Mary... When Mary comes to Jesus because she's concerned about him. See, she brings her brothers apparently because they're trying to put that family pressure on him to come home. And Jesus, when he's told that his mother and his brothers want to see him, he says, of all things, in verse 33 of Mark 3, he says, of all things, he says, who, who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here, here are my mother and my brothers. Verse 35, For whoever does the will of God, he is my mother, he is my brother and sister and mother. Doesn't sound like our typical Happy Mother's Day greeting. I wonder if Mary ever heard Jesus teach. You may know the sermon that I'm thinking about it. It happens in Luke 14 when he's talking about the cost of following him, the cost of discipleship. It's when Jesus says, you have to hate your mother if you want to follow me. Now, he doesn't mean hate, but you have to love God so much that the comparison is as if you could call it hate. We don't often quote that one on Mother's Day, do we? In fact, if, you were, if you're going to make a line of Mother's Day cards based on quotes from Jesus 
You'd be hard-pressed to find anything at all to put on the inside of those cards. Perhaps the, perhaps the worst example of all comes in the text that you heard this morning. After all of those little examples of saying and doing things that would not thrill any mother who loves her son, Jesus hangs on the cross and he completes the process of leaving his mother behind. Look at John 19. John 19, 25 to 27. This is our passage, one of our two main passages for today. It says this, But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. Verse 26, When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. Jesus, as the last act before he dies, stands there with the disciple whom he loved, that is John, and his mother Mary. And he says to Mary, Woman, behold your son. I have a new son, apparently. Then he says to the disciple, to John, Behold your mother. And then it says, from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. I mean, he doesn't even call her mom. He calls her woman. And then he has the nerve, at least it feels like, the nerve to reassign her to one of his disciples. I wondered to myself, why would she accept that assignment? I understand why John, the beloved disciple, would accept the call to care for Jesus' mother. I'm sure John was willing to do anything that Jesus had asked when he was on the cross. But especially when your dying friend calls you to care for your mother, John, of course, as his disciple, would be inclined to say yes. But from Mary's point of view, I can imagine her thinking, let, let me get this straight, son. You spent so much of your life distancing yourself from me for the sake of the kingdom of God. And now you want to turn me over to one of your disciples? One of the men who has just spent three years learning to be like you? I mean, you just feel guilty that you haven't spent more time and energy on me? And now you want to make sure I don't, I don't starve to death? Do you happen to think that John is the son I've always wanted? Mother's Day indeed. If we use the life of Mary as an example of motherhood, part of what we see is a difficult picture. And friends, the scripture is clear that motherhood, parenting, nurture of a child to become the person God wants that child to be is a difficult process. Mary's job was hard. It was painful. It was perhaps filled with unmet expectations. But she knew from the beginning what she was in for. Being a mother for Mary meant that she was going to have to be willing to have her heart broken for the greater good of humanity. A literal sword would have been easier, perhaps. Being a mother meant that Mary was going to have to do what God called her to do, despite grief and pain and difficulty. 
it's easy to stand here 2,000 years later looking at Jesus on the cross and, and to say that it was all worth it for her. But I wonder if you had been her. I wonder what she would have felt like standing beneath the cross of her son asking herself and God, Lord, is this really what you had in mind? If you're a mother this morning or you've disappointed a mother, you probably identify with or at least understand what's going on with Mary here emotionally. You may wonder if it was worth it. You may wonder, like her, what the point was or is or could be. I can't give you quick and easy answers to all those questions, but I can, however, tell you that I believe that the motherhood model that we see from Mary is what God has called us all to do and to be as the church. You and I are called to be the church, to be like a mother on the order of a Mary. Let me explain what I mean. Turn to Matthew 23. Our last scripture today is Matthew 23. We're going to focus on verse 37. Matthew 23, 37. Jesus, here in this passage, uses the imagery of a hen. Chosen because it's understood as the mother of all birds. We call it the mother hen. The mother hen who covers and protects her young. Verse 37 says... O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. The cry, not just of Mary, but, but of the Lord for us. The Lord for the city of Jerusalem who had rejected him as he came to the cross. The cry of Jesus on the cross for us is just like that cry of Mary. How I long to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. Friends, we as the church, we as people involved in ministry, you as mothers and fathers and parents and friends, we are called to be about the business of spiritual nurture. Spiritual nurture. That's why, that's why we're here together. To worship God and to learn to be the kind of place where we nurture in one another. A place where God can work. A place where our relationships with one another can help us be who he calls us to be. That's the picture here that we want to keep in mind. That's why, for us, we talk about the three C's, celebrate, cultivate, and communicate. The second one is cultivate. We want to create among us a culture where our relationships with God and with one another are deepened, are nurtured, are cultivated. Today, for us, part of the lesson is that we are called to suffer in grief with those whose sin separates them from God. By the way, that includes all of us. The lesson for Mary 
isn't always a fun one. It's sometimes a hard one. Motherhood is not an easy road to hoe, I'm told. We want to create a culture among us where we suffer in grief with one another because I sin and you sin against one another and God. And being the kind of family where Jesus gathers us together so that we can be who he made us to be sometimes means suffering with one another. No, of course, Jesus did not sin against his mom. Her grief was different than that. Mary's grief was different than ours. But you know grief because you've caused it and you've experienced it from others. As a church, we are called to suffer together in grief with those whose sin separates us from God. That's not always a fun task, but it's an important task. Because friends, in that 